You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. Welcome to Encyclopedia. As the robot voice always says uh, on this Sunday afternoon, slightly colder than yesterday's. Um, Yesterday's weather, the first day of December, where um, I found myself uh, buying for the first time a, a real-life Christmas tree, and I, I, I was a bit trepidatious towards that decision because um, I feel like it's a, it's a very wasteful towards the trees. Haven't done it in years because of that ethos, but we have a nearly one-year-old and a three-year-old in the house at the moment, and um, there certainly is that um, you know that 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 Christmas magic, I suppose. Um, Christmas magic, dead old trees. Look, we're trying to insert a lot of a lot of Australian in there as well. A lot of the fact that we live in the southern hemisphere, not the northern hemisphere, where pine trees are considered a weed in the Mount Dandenongs, where they uh, ran a program not too long ago to bloody rip the things out of the ground, and um, where they're um, yeah, just not a particularly good tree around here. I've killed a few in the Dandenongs in my work uh, over the time, Nick. Ash Blackwell sitting across from me. Um, Ash, how you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, yesterday. Um it was pool day for me. We got a pool in yeah. the complex where I live, and I had the good fortune of meeting some of my neighbours. Uh, shout out to M and um, oh, now I've got a mental blank on his bloody name, <laughs> don't I? Uh, Rich, M and Rich, who um, live in the same complex, and Rich listens to the show, so big shout out to Rich. Uh, also, thank you very much to the Freedom of Species crew who had a potential new MP on the show, um, and there's about ten of them in the runnings. We're still watching the count. The count restarted halfway through the week, much to a uh, everyone's dismay but there's a lot to count there the postal votes hadn't been added yet and um those who had preference below the line there's a little bit more adding and uh what not to do i guess and uh that's all still going through the count so we're still still waiting to see what's going to happen in the in the final part we went along to reason parties picnic yesterday uh just thanking all of their um all of the people that were involved with that uh with this election campaign uh overall the reason party had uh a tiny bit upward um, on their vote, um, but because of the preference flow, it doesn't look like Fiona Patton is going to get back in. But we have uh, have heard that Dan Andrews is apparently uh, reaching out to her uh, to offer her a job, and uh, I think Fiona's pretty keen on being uh, Victoria's drug czar if there would be <laughs> such a thing, because we don't have uh, particularly uh, stringent drug policy or drug controls in this state at the moment. One of the recommendations of the uh, Victorian inquiry into drug law reform, which took up a long part of the last term of government uh, was that a uh, a couple of committees be set up, one a ministerial committee, but one a committee uh, that include members from the community, uh, members from uh, professional services. Uh, So it would be a representative, uh, uh, a democratic uh, organisation to to represent those voices. Uh, So, I mean, we've just got to wait and see on that. Yeah, I think with that inquiry report, it was probably one of the worst reports ever produced. Um, like, well, the response, the, the report was fantastic. Yeah. The, the government response was, um, it was poorly written. Um, it didn't really address the, the issues in the report. Mm. We didn't make much noise about it at the time because it was coming into an election campaign season and, and you know, unless it was on the the government's um, like agenda on their re-election campaign strategy, then nothing was going to come of it anyway. And I think but I still do want to push back a little bit on that absolutely. and go, well, there, there was this big report, lot you of know, time, the Andrews lot of government, um, and, you know, did this big inquiry and the response was pretty lacklustre. So hopefully with a stronger majority and being forced to defend 
um, issues, uh, policies like the supervised injecting centre, there might be a little bit more room for them to be bold on those kind of issues, given that they were attacked in the campaign on those issues and, and you know, were forced to defend them and got re-elected on that on that um, on some of those policies. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that it's an indicator that we can uh, push a little bit more. But I have this feeling that now uh, with this majority that um, Labor, I, I mean, I don't know. We just have to keep up, keep up the pressure, and that goes for everyone um, across uh, all the three CR listeners with their own um, niche issues. We have to keep up pressure on the politicians, no matter what, no matter if it looks like a victory against those who oppose us. It's still. Uh, it's still difficult to make change happen and it still requires a lot of time and effort, so we need to maintain the pressure. Um, just quickly as well, uh, tomorrow is International Day of People with a Disability. Uh, it's going to mean that a number of advocates, artists and radical disabled activists are going to be broadcasting between 7am and 7pm on 3CR 855am. Uh, last year the day fell on a Sunday and we uh, we actually had a, a special show with um, pa- a panel of guests discussing disability and access to things like venues, festivals uh, and other events. Um, as an important consideration for venue owners, promoters and punters alike. Um, I had a, a friend of mine who passed away um, just when we started doing the show, actually about three shows in, um, who had muscular dystrophy and he came along to things like Rainbow Serpent Festival. Uh, he, he liked to go out with us. Um, he wasn't in a wheelchair up until the last you know year or so uh, of his life, but then um, we really started to notice how many how many venues weren't disability friendly. weren't You couldn't even get a bloody wheelchair into <laughs> into them, and that's that's um, you know fairly fairly basic. Um, though I do know speaking to other friends that Melbourne is actually pretty good in comparison with other parts of the world Um, and uh, although the uh, upgrade of our tram network has been very, very slow it is happening. I did notice uh, uh, about a month ago that the Nicholson Street uh, section between uh, Victoria Parade and Johnson Street has now been upgraded to accessible stops that's outside the Melbourne Museum, outside IMAX, uh, at the the start of Gertrude Street, uh, close to Smith Street as well. These are pretty important locations that should be accessible and it's not just wheelchairs as well. It helps for um, people with um, any kind of movement disability. It helps with uh, people who have got even just a lot of luggage. Even if you've got a lot of luggage and you have to get somewhere, um, if you're a traveller or if you've got kids in a pram, it just makes it much more easier. And uh, we're working slowly towards that. I think Melbourne does all right, but it doesn't, again, can't get complacent. We always have to push with these things. And yesterday was World AIDS Day, and there were events uh, in many places around Australia and around the world to acknowledge those lost to um, to AIDS and those that are still battling to fight HIV stigma and discrimination and to get better treatment, um, particularly in those places in the world that, that haven't had the same focused approach on prevention that Australia has for some time. There is more to do, however, and the Greens yesterday announced a plan to invest $10 million per year to end HIV, and $1 million of that will be, um, or it might be an additional $1 million to end uh, to, to address HIV stigma and discrimination. So we should, that, um, should also uh, give a shout-out to Tim Reid, the new member for Brunswick, uh, the Greens member who is a... Um, uh, former doctor now, I guess, uh, and an AIDS. Uh, he worked a lot with AIDS and HIV. Um, I've uh, met with him in the past. He's, he's, he sort of reminds me of a lot of these types they've got in the Greens at the moment. Doctors sort of um, very down the line um, know what they're talking about. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope he well, can I've, make I've, some moves in yeah, that area. Yeah, I've been messaging and commenting on his social media page for um, about a year now and, um, yeah, find him quite pleasant to speak with. He seems like the kind of person that can... Um, 
have a good think about issues and, and negotiate. So uh, best of luck to Tim Congratulations, Reed. Tim, yeah. Uh, and also I uh, just wanted to shout out a happy birthday to Jesse Lee, who is a now current 3C, 3CR broadcaster whose first piece will be aired tomorrow. Um, that's uh, on disability uh, issues, and she's somebody that I know through festivals and whatnot, and I believe did she come on the show last year she either came on brecky show or on um in psychedelia last year to talk about disability issues and uh access to venues and whatnot um now we we've got a few things coming up because um it is a final month of 2019 uh, t- sorry 2018 before 2019 um we have just kicked our fundraiser off um we're raising funds to i mean essentially we've just been pulling our hair out before this show trying to get a couple of segments ready that we recorded um just trying to get programs to work it's it can be very frustrating and expensive, uh, an Adobe license is, is quite expensive. So trying to get the software to work, Adobe is the audio editing program. This is all, sorry, I'm, I'm re- unveiling the curtain for a moment to give you a, a look into our into our back room. But it can be uh, very frustrating working with um, sets of equipment that don't always match up, uh, changing things on settings constantly just to get it to work, uh, finding things later where you go, oh, why did that happen? And it's too late, <laughs> too late to Blue do Blue screen of about death it. mid-show. Oh, it's... Uh, it's crazy, and it's because we go along. It's not just the radio show that we do. We often go along to events, and we do the recording at events. We'll go out and do Vox Pops. Um, we're trying to uh, do a lot more with the website. There's a new website that's being built at the moment, but you can check out the current current one, which is a bit of a placeholder at mpsychedelia.org. Uh, and we're also trying to be not just a voice for the Victorian uh, uh, movement of people who want to see change around, uh, around drug laws and people who use drugs who want to be able to talk uh, more honestly about that to, to help the next generation not to help them uh down into a spiral but to help them realize that um uh, there's a different way to talk about these things than it's russian roulette or whatever there's a different different way but it's um you know it's difficult when you're uh when you're dealing with what we have and i don't know can I play the millennials a poor thing here? Probably that's a bit, <laughs> well, I think that's a bit it's rattling just the tin. You know, it's probably a similar situation to many of the broadcasters here. Like some people um, donate their or spend their time kind of making wealth for themselves, like focusing on their careers. Myself and Nick mostly spend our time doing activism (laughs) it's like a seven day a week job on top of the job type jobs that we have so we are asking for um (laughs) for our supporters and um listeners if they can to support our fundraiser to share it amongst your friends and networks and just um to just try and see if we can get a few more resources to streamline the show so that we can bring you all of the audio that we record and there's a lot that doesn't make it to air. Mm. And, and video. Um, We've, we're starting to record <laughs> things as well, but mostly audio. Obviously, it's radio. It's hard to see uh, the sound waves. Um but the you can find uh, the fundraiser. It's a chuffed fundraiser. It is at our website, which is in psychedelia.org. Sometimes hard to find. If you can't find it, just head to the 3CR website, and there is a link to our website uh, on our page. So just look for the program page for Encyclopedia. Um, at the moment, we're at 120. Um, there are a couple of like we've got a couple of perks in there. We're not going to start um, doing the perks until the start of next year. Um, just when we because <laughs> we need to get we need to get some of the money to be able to uh, buy the things like. We're going to have some stickers and posters and um, uh, as well as new equipment and things like that as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the perks will be coming out in 2019, but please um, sign up for them. We're going to keep that all tracked. Uh, so, in psychedelia.org uh, is the place. But, geez, it'll make things much easier to, <laughs> to do. Um, uh, in the meantime, um, I, I, had, I had a song. I had a song, but it, it, didn't, actually, it didn't actually work. I mean, the other thing is, um, as well, if you support, if you support um, 3CR more broadly... You 
you can always become a member of 3CR at 3cr.org.au uh, because that helps us to keep everything going here. And obviously, this is our, um, our, our, home, our home base and um, we're very passionate about the, uh, about the community here at 3CR. There's a, uh, a, lot, of, um, a lot of excellent broadcasters, excellent shows um, to listen to uh, that, are, that are saying things that isn't heard elsewhere. Um, we're going to play a song now. We are going to hear from uh, David Shoebridge, the Greens uh, MLC uh, for New South Wales. Um, he has been a strong fight. He's part of the, uh, I mean, his, his office uh, controls the sniff-off campaign in New South Wales against sniffer dogs. Um, and he's also been speaking out recently about the uh, uh, the sort of extortionate attempt by New South Wales police to charge a music festival up in northern New South Wales $200,000 for their presence, when in previous years it's been less than a tenth of that, less than a tenth. Um, so we'll, we'll, and we'll also be hearing from uh, Eric Lemire Pike, who uh, was from that festival, about his experience with that. Uh, that's coming up shortly right, no- uh, right now. This is... Uh, Radish Beats, it's formidable vegetable sound system from their Radish Beats remix album. This is Energy Bumble Remix on in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio. Formidable Vegetable Sound System with Energy, the Bumble Remix. On In Psychedelia, 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3CR.org.au. My name is Nick Wallace, uh, Ash Blackwell sitting across from me. Uh, And right now on the line we have uh, from New South Wales, uh, Member of Parliament for the Greens Party, David Shoebridge. David, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks very much. Happy to be here. So um, this issue of user pays policing, it's something that I've been following personally for a couple of years. I I actually emailed the New South Wales Cross-Parliamentary Committee on Drug Law Reform in 2016, I think, to say, oh, you should be focusing on this issue. And um, it was something that came up when when you spoke at the New South Wales uh, Users and AIDS Association there with a pretty robust conversation. And again at the pill testing summit in um, New South Wales Parliament, and now it seems to have hit the um, hit the mainstream press. So, um, what's what's been going on in New South Wales, David? Well, it's kind of been it's been one of those issues that's been ticking away in the background, and you, you're wondering when it's going to actually blow up. But the New South Wales Police for the last four or five years have been um, doubling up on a policy that says, well, if we're going to provide a whole lot of police to your music festival, well, then you're going to have to pay for those police over and above what would be ordinary policing um, requirements for just a a very standard, um, uh, any kind of standard event. And and what the police are now saying is, well, for your music festival, the police are now saying, well, for a small music festival, they want to put 60 police there. For a big music festival like DEFCON, they put the better part of 200 police um, associated with them. And then they said, say to the festival organisers, now you're going to pay for them. Um, and when the festival organisers say, well, 
who wants 60 police at a small regional music festival? We don't think it's useful. We don't think it's going to help safety. We don't want to pay for it. The, the, the way the approvals are given for music festivals is unless they have the police on board, they can basically be shut down. Um, so a number of music festival organisers have been bringing this up with me in um, off-the-record conversations. Mm-hmm. They, they feel very anxious about standing out and speaking about it publicly because if they speak about it publicly, they think the police will potentially react even more aggressively. But, the, I mean, in those conversations, they describe it as um, close to extortion, as, as basically a shakedown by the police where they come out with inflated demands and then they have a kind of commercial tussle about how much money they're going to give to the police for their music festivals. And, 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 and it's actually got worse in the last few months, and we've seen that with Bohemian Beat Freaks, where the police have, I think, used the user pays method as an alternate way of shutting down a music festival that they didn't want to go ahead, basically price it out of existence with an inflated cost for policing. Um, yeah, uh, and that's following that's following the Premier's so-called expert panel on music festivals that we had here in New South Wales. It wasn't an expert panel. It was populated by a bunch of people who'd never been to a music festival. But, um, uh, you know, that, that more aggressive user pays, more aggressive policing seems to be the outcome. So uh, we are catching up with um, Eric Lemire-Pike from Bohemian Beat Freaks um, a little bit later in the show. And, uh, I mean, that's some of the way that he described it was um, exactly like that, like a like a kind of extortion. But one of the mm. things that um, we covered, so with DEFCON and, and fest, uh, events like that that are in the city, the police are actually there on site attending the, the, the event. But there's been um, outdoor music festivals that I've been to where this massive fee has been kind of, you know, put to the... the uh, event organizers to pay for it but it was all for operations that actually existed outside the festival i was i was there working you know on site festival safety uh, harm reduction kind of work and um the police didn't actually they weren't really at the event um so how does the justification work there when they're not even you know like that's a bit strange well i mean it's different it's it, it... It's very personality-driven in, in the New South Wales Police. There's an overall policy that says police can charge for user-paid services, but then the extent of the policing that's rolled out and the nature of the policing duties is pretty much up to the local area commands to make up on a case-by-case basis. So particularly in festivals that might be in a, on, a, on a rural property somewhere, there'll be, there'll be one local area command, one local policing um, command will say, well, look, it's, it's, on, a, it's on a property... You know, there's a, there's a dirt road you've got to get down to, make sure the dirt road is cleared. We'll probably put a couple of police on doing traffic duty. Um, you know, if there's a particularly difficult intersection at the beginning and the end of the music festival, uh, we might have a couple of police around um, in case there's an assault or something happens because you've got a couple of thousand people gathered together. But other than that, we'll leave you to it. Uh, another local area command might say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to have 17 police permanently on duty for, for traffic control, we're going to have perimeter um, walks and security. We're going to have to have another 15 or 16 police um, uh, for, for for strip searching, and we're going to have two teams or three teams or four teams of drug dogs, and every drug dog comes with 12 general duties police that you have to pay for as well. Um, and you can see how horses for courses, you know, if, if, if our local area command wants to abuse the system, they can throw all of these extraordinary policing demands on a on a festival organiser, 
and we, and we saw that with Bohemian briefly because I think the, the first bill, well, the, the the first inflated bill that that the organisers got was close to two hundred grand. Eventually, that was pared down to one hundred grand in the land of the Environment Corps, but still an obscene amount of money. Um, something the organisers could never possibly afford. And what about the the politics? It's it's going to be an election in New South Wales, you know, early next year. Um, is this something that that um, if there was a change of government, there could be a negotiation for better oversight? Can there be, you know, better political oversight of how this system is run? Because it seems like the police are kind of getting a free reign to almost write their policy themselves. Well, I think the only hope of breaking through is a change of government. Um, and, and I think we need to have a minority government uh, because the Labor opposition in New South Wales has said almost nothing on this. Uh, they've gone to ground. They don't really want to have be seen to be taking on the police. They think that's a um, that that's that's not broadly politically favourable for them, and they're not willing to go into bat for young people. Um, I, I can tell you now that as uh, a Greens MP who's up for election, um, we we believe that I believe the Greens have an obligation to actually represent and, and care about the interests, especially of young people who so often get ignored by politics. I think young people should be able to go out to a music festival if they want. They should be able to go out to a music festival in a regional area and assume that there'll be a small amount of risk in going into a regional area. You know, I'm going to be in a paddock. Uh, I may, you know, if I if I get intoxicated and walk off into a forest, I may run into a tree. I may trip over a branch. Um, there may be mud. Uh, there may be untidiness. I think young people can make these decisions and should be empowered and allowed to make these decisions without a huge police force sitting there watching them as they go about their business. Well, yeah, and I think that's reasonable when we consider risk at the society level. I mean, as a person who's um, had some of the best times of my life at outdoor music events, you know, I've got friends that are into downhill mountain bike riding, into dirt bike riding. Some of them have had yep. incredibly like damaging accidents, broken collarbones and, you know, fractured spines and all kinds of stuff. So if that's, you know, if that's if something that we think... about risk, yeah, the whole ski season would be covered by blue uniforms, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what's... Yeah, I look, I, yeah you, you go ahead. What, what's, what's next? What are, the, what are the next options sort of politically and in advocacy in New South Wales? Is this, you know, is there going to be pushback? Because Bohemian Beat Freaks looks like it's going to move to Queensland now. That community's lost a festival that brought a lot of, you know, commercial interest and people into an area that might not have otherwise seen that. Um, well, well that, that community is quite angry about what's happened. Um, and, and, you know, it's businesses in that community too who thought they were going to have um, a successful uh, three or four days um, and end up actually having nothing. Some businesses had pre-planned for it as well and invested in it and, and are now actually not just neutral, they're actually behind the eight ball economically. Um, but, but I do, I get a very strong sense that there's a growing movement uh, across New South Wales, which is young people saying, well, politics is failing us. You guys are not listening to us. We've got issues that we want to push as young people and, and we don't want to live in some kind of, you know, nanny state run by a bunch of 65-year-olds to make it unlawful to go out and have fun. Um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a vast amount to do. Yes, get rid of this bizarre user-pays policing or, or, or put user-pays policing at a level that is actually, you know, rational and associated with genuine risk. We need to do things like legalise and regulate um, cannabis. And, and just stop destroying young people's futures because they're brought to court and they're found with some cannabis in their pocket. 
and when we need to also look about whether or not now is the time to legalise MDMA as well. I mean, the thought that people are randomly having their futures destroyed because they're found with one pill in their pocket, I, I, I don't get that. And, and young people are saying to politicians, well, you love the alcohol industry, and we know what damage that does uh, in terms of violence and people's health. Um, how can you be so, you know, in, captured by the alcohol industry and then not also take these obvious steps on other drug law reform um, so I think there's part of a growing, bigger movement here. And, and young people are looking for someone in politics to actually represent that. And um, what about the lockout laws? That's been one that's like, you know, I, I sort of follow the nightlife industry and, and the, the you know electronic music industry and DJs internationally, like Sydney's a joke. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know you like it's the butt of jokes internationally. For, yeah. Um. Uh, look, I think, uh, again, it's young people saying to the politicians, you know, who made you the fun police? Who made you the, 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 the person who can determine whether or not we can go to a bar at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, uh, whether or not we can, you know, get out and have fun with our friends? Yeah, I think, you know, problematic um, alcohol-saturated beer bars are something that politics has a genuine interest in, in properly regulating. But a vibrant, diverse, mixed nightlife, that's something politics shouldn't be killing off, and that's what it has been doing with the lockout laws. Um, Well, I mean, I think Melbourne is planning to have a nightmare. I know Paris has a, like, nightmare as in a mayor for the nighttime as well as a daytime mayor. Um, And that's something that's kind of growing as big cities realise that their nightlife economy is a big part of the city. Well, it's it's a reason why people want to live there, and it's a reason why it also creates a, a creative sense and a sense that you're in a proper global city. Um, if you can go out and get a bottle of wine after 10 o'clock at night. Um, but you can't do that in Sydney. Like you, you can't go out and buy a bottle of wine after 10 o'clock at night. It's just, it's just crazy. You can't change pubs after 1 o'clock and you get locked out and sent home at 3 o'clock, regardless of when you got there, regardless of what your plans are for the next day. Unless you're um, at the casino, right? You know, you, you just, unless you're at the casino, that's right. You just you actually couldn't make this stuff up um, if it... You know, if it hadn't actually happened, you would say, well, surely that's a, you know, that's the 1950s that's come back to life. It can't be happening in a global city in 2018, but it is. Um, and it's because our politics is not representing young people. Politics is not representing the diversity of the population. There's a bunch of, you know, um, 50, 60-plus-year-olds um, who are very happy to regulate the fun out of society if they think it works for a sort of narrow demographic. And it's time we threw them out of parliament and, um... as a job lot. Just before we let you go, is there any updates on the, the court cases that um, the I believe your office or the Sniff-Off campaign um, were involved in the court cases over people losing their tickets to events like Midnight Mafia uh, earlier? Yes, in the year? well, so, so we've, 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 we've just at the point of doing a, yet another data request. The lawyers have got yet another data request to the police and to the New South Wales government. Um, and that data request, they think, is essential for finalising the pleadings. But it's, it's looking to be a series of local court cases that are all run on common set of pleadings, and we're looking to get those kicked off in the first half of next year. Would I have liked this to go faster? I would. Uh, does the law operate slowly? It sure does. Um, you know, I was a barrister. I still am a barrister. I know how slow it can be. But they want to make sure they've got all their I's dotted and their T's crossed. They've got the, the, another data request going out. When that comes back, I think we'll be in a position to commence. 
Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon on Encyclopedia. My pleasure. Always good to speak. And thanks for the work you both do. That was David Shoebridge, uh, Greens MLC from the Upper House in New South Wales, speaking to us about the uh, user pays policing system and a little update there on the court case about police confiscating people's tickets without even finding drugs on them, which has happened at several events now in New South Wales. Temple Step Project now on In Psychedelia. From the Northern Rivers region, that is Temple Step Project on In Psychedelia on 3CR. Another quick reminder, we are trying to raise some money to be able to cover drug issues more uh, broadly. Uh, if you go to inpsychedelia.org, our website, you'll be able to find it there. Uh, and, um, yeah, we, we'd uh, love any help that we can get. We're rushing around now trying to, <laughs> trying to get things to work. Where is it? Oh, yeah, can you just go click OK on the other computer? <laughs> 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 It'll probably be asking you a question. And uh, Again, International Day with a Disability tomorrow, uh, 12 hours of programming between 7am and 7pm. Uh, so please tune in uh, to hear about a wide variety of issues uh, to do with uh, disability. Uh, it, it, it was good? Okay. No. Uh, well, I don't know. Did you have to <laughs> click, was, did I didn't have have to click, click okay? anything. But okay. I can have a quick chat about um, Dr. Andrew Cataleris if yeah, you've got to get hear. some bits together. Yeah. Just, you know, we'll just kind of peel apart that uh, screen for a look behind the show. We've been trying to edit this interview that we did Friday night on three different computers and they've all been failing. I've got it. I've got it. You've got it? (laughs) Excellent. All right. right. Should we go into it? Do you want to mention Andrew first or should we? We haven't got No, no, I don't think we've got time. Let's just play this bit. This is a great interview. Okay. So this is uh, part one of our interview with uh, Eric Lemire-Pike. Eric uh, is one of the uh, uh, founders and organizers of the Bohemian Beat Freaks Festival in northern New South Wales. Also Rabbits Eat Lettuce, another uh, festival up that way, uh, and they were the uh, they had the controversy surrounding them recently um, with uh, the police trying to charge them two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Uh, Ash and I both caught up with Eric on Friday night, and here he is. This is in psychedelia on three CR Community Radio eight five five AM three CR Digital and three CR My name's Nick Wallace. You're listening to In Psychedelia, and we're talking. Um, I I don't know. It's sort of a battlefront of the culture wars. It's uh, uh, been uh, been framed as um, not not uh, from my perspective, but certainly from the perspective of certain politicians who have worked very hard uh, to attack and shut down uh, music festivals in Victoria, New South Wales, and other parts of Australia. Um, but we wanted to we wanted to uh, understand this issue a little a little more uh, deeply. So 
On the line now, we have Eric Lemire-Pike, the uh, one of the um, coordinators of the Bohemian Beat Freaks and Rabbits Eat Lettuce Festival in New South Wales, uh, up in northern New South Wales. Eric, welcome to In Psychedelia. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Now, uh, Beat Freaks, uh, Bohemian Beat Freaks was on um, last weekend. You had a bit of a, uh, a kerfuffle <laughs> in, in getting it all to happen. Could you run us through the, uh, the events that, that led up to your eventual uh, shift into Queensland and, uh, and, and what happened around that? Uh, well, yeah, so we've been running festivals in, in, New, in New South Wales for three years now. Uh, we've successfully staged five events at the same venue that Bohemian Beatrix was due to be held and everything was kind of going along as per normal. We'd already had some pre-event meetings with New South Wales Police. We'd already had a, an agreement with the police for that event. Uh, we had an email through with the court how many police we were going to have on site and what that cost would be, which was pretty much in line with last year. Um, then what we do before each event is we have a pre-event meeting about a month out from each event and we have those meetings separately with each emergency services and the council and uh, we basically rocked up to this pre-event meeting with New South Wales Police on the 26th of October and were almost ambushed, I guess you'd call it. We, we usually just meet with the local station manager but this time there were about four police, three or four police uh, rocked up to the meeting with their red badges uh, a lot more important and superior than our regular station manager contact. And uh, they proceeded to tell us that the New South Wales Police had done a, an updated risk assessment of our festival, uh, citing a whole bunch of uh, nonsensical reasons, such as it's very hot in November, typically in the area. They cited the DEFCON uh, incident. They cited uh, a couple of other things that just didn't really make sense and just basically said they were pulling support and that the event could no longer proceed. Um, we had scheduled a, an hour for this meeting to talk through issues and talk through any mitigation strategies that they might, might like us to put in place, and we were, we were out of there by 10 minutes later. They just weren't willing to talk. They weren't willing to negotiate. They weren't willing to reason with us to, to work on a solution. It was just a flat outright no, and we were kind of walked out of that meeting in utter shock and disbelief. Uh, basically got on the phone to our lawyer and kind of discussed our options and, and went from there. So these police were different to the ones that you've negotiated with in previous years and the ones that you were negotiating with in the lead-up to the festival. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the lead-up we were negotiating with the detective inspector in charge of the casino New South Wales police station, which is generally what we do. Um, and the police that attended this pre-event meeting, we had the casino station manager there, which had just been, who had just replaced the previous one, but we also had the uh, acting area commander for the whole Lismore, Ballina casino region, so the second most superior police officer for that entire region instead of just the local guy. So, so some decision was made from someone higher up to come in and, Coming heavy on us. So, just um, for for background on this, for for those that might not understand the process of how uh, how an event comes to be, uh, you work with a number of stakeholders, which includes the uh, the police uh, to um, look after everyone at that festival. Um, it hasn't always been that case that uh, that police uh, required payment to turn up to a festival. I'm, I'm not sure how. 
uh, how how long that's been happening. But um, the, the the logic of it does make sense. They're using um, significant well, resources uh, to, to come of, out there. It kind of it kind of it kind of, it kind of makes sense, uh, unless you, if you think about the fact that every single person at that festival, every single stallholder at that festival, is a taxpayer. So legitimately has a right to be protected by police. So, yeah, if you ask me legitimately, I think that they should be there doing their job regardless because taxpayers are there that should be protected by the law. Uh, however, the way it is now is in an event, if extra police are needed, then the event has to sort the bill. And the negotiation for that has always been between the station manager and the event itself. And there doesn't seem to be any real... Uh, formula or ratio to work out how many police are needed for each particular event. So you're at the whim, uh, basically, of the station manager, or in our case, the superiors, to decide what they want. I've been to a few festivals, well, many festivals in Victoria and several in New South Wales in um, 2016, and I saw this play out at at one festival where um, the police were running a significant... Uh, operation on the way into the festival using sniffer dogs and things like that and then on the way out another significant operation with you know all the booze buses and drug buses and for all of that they tried to sting this particular festival um, I think it was about $250,000 and I was there helping out with festival safety things at that particular event and there was a police command center set up that I think the police showed up to just once the whole time so I, I think, like previously, with your experience working with them, were they collaborators on site when actually considering the festival safety or was it all pre-event and post-event that they were kind of justifying this expense on? Right, yeah. So previously, our relationship and our experience with the user-pay system has been overall positive. Uh, we've had kind of numbers in line with the size of our crowd, the police, the user pay police that have come on site to work at the event, have worked within our event structure, have worked with our security team, have been given radios, they attend our friendly with our guests, they've been like talkative, approachable. Um, overall, it's been a really positive experience, which is why this complete backflip in the New South Wales position on the 26th of October was such a surprise. It's a, um, it's an interesting uh, sort of concept, this idea that you, you pay for police uh, at an event. I, I'm not sure how it works for, um, uh, for other events out there. I'm sure for the, for the big sort of big city events, the uh, Melbourne Cup we had recently, I'm sure they would pay uh, for the police to be there because they do put extra strain on the resources of police. Yeah, I understand that. But then you also need to look at it from an economics perspective that these events are driving the economy of much more tax dollars coming through the government. So really it all kind of evens out. So the government's kind of getting, or the police force is kind of getting a free ride there. And that, uh, that and, was pretty much what I was going to ask you about because uh, it does seem that in a, in a democratic society that these uh, the, that we shouldn't be doing that because that kind of undermines our ability to democratically engage by using uh, fees to uh, stop people from gathering. It's not directly saying you're not allowed to do this, but if you can price somebody out of the market, it's the same effect in the end, and it seems like this is almost being used uh, as a tool in this manner. 
Oh, it's, it's 100% it is. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's, it's happened to us once before as well. So it, back in 2015, when we were working on our development application for our five-year DA, uh, we had a bit of trouble because some policeman in uh, Coffs Harbour basically decided he didn't like us and he decided to ring around and cause some problems for us. So all of a sudden, the police used a pay bill that they were quoting us was $80,000. And at the time, our total event budget was $300,000. And that was just so prohibitive financially that we had to move the event up to Queensland to the Woodford Folk Festival venue. Um, and following that, that year, uh, the, Wood, the Casino Council saw that we ran a safe, successful event up in Woodford and they wanted us back because they wanted the economic activity. So we brought the event back down to Casino and then the user-pay police bill dropped down to about $12,000 that year, which is more in line with what the budget can afford and what's actually needed on site. Um, so, And then since then, we've, our, our bills have kind of fluctuated between, say, $12,000 and about $20,000, depending on the size of the crowd and size of the event, which is manageable within our budget. So to get this uh, user-pay quote come through of $200,000 for a 3,000-person event is just completely obvious, their tactics. Like, they just want to price us out, and that was their weapon at their disposal. So you ended up taking this to court. What was the the rationale behind that decision and how did that go? Well, they weren't even mentioning use of pay police. The police there at that meeting were just basically saying a flat no, we don't think the event's safe, the event can't proceed. They weren't even saying, oh, we think you need this many police and then we'll allow the event to go ahead. It didn't even, they weren't willing to negotiate. So when we were taking the police to court, it was taking them to court over their decision to rule that the event was unsafe. So... So then when it looked like the judge was going in our favour, because that's how it was looking, the police then contacted us and said, well, it, we don't support the event, but in the event that uh, the festival does proceed, we need to discuss an increase to user pay police. And that's when they sent us the quote for $200,000. Uh, and, then, and then the user pay topic was raised in court and I guess the judge thought he was doing us a favour by cutting us, cutting it in half to $105,000, but still uh, w way too expensive, still about six times what we've been paying pr previously, uh, prohibitive financially, and also kind of the conditions that would have been imposed on the event besides the use of paper lease were just kind of very, very opposed at the nature of our festival. They wanted to put a chain-link fence around the entire event area and have a one search point with tabletop searching and pat-downs anytime someone wants to go from the campground to the dance floor and back again. Mm, which would have affected the whole the whole culture of the event. I mean, having a, a chain-link fence around the entire site just sounds um, uh, uh, yeah. quite well, entrapping, well, really. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. They basically wanted to put everyone in a jail that we would pay for. <laughs> So, it, so. it feels very mobster to me. Like, it, I mean, yeah. these are kind of real standover tactics. Is that how it comes across? Like, they're negotiating up this. Oh, we'll we'll cut you a deal. You know, slip us a hundred grand, and we'll call it even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the same opinion as you, mate. Um, so, uh, working with the local council, you said that when uh, when you when this happened before a few years ago, that you spoke with the local council, or that the local council approached you. Uh, well. So we, we had to bring the event up to Queensland, to Woodford in 2015 because of the hefty user pay police bill that we were given. 
Um, and then following that event, we wanted to bring the event back down to New South Wales because that's our preferred site. That's that's the site we was, had a heart set on, and also that's the site that's kind of centred around our core market. Uh, and and it, the event just didn't work in Woodford. We got 50 sound complaints, whereas the venue down in New South Wales complete, is completely surrounded by mountains and noise just isn't an issue. Uh, so we we came back down there, organised a meeting with the general manager and said, look, we, we've just run this event in Woodford. It was successful. However, we did get noise complaints. We want to bring the event down here. He was... He was for us. He, he saw that the police were kind of just not really uh, acting with logic and it was a bit of uh, hysteria and he decided to back us and, and that kind of helped us push our DA through and that's when we got our five-year permit. Although the permit was a bit... It wasn't the best permit because it did put a condition in there that gave the New South Wales Police power to prevent the event from happening if they thought the event was unsafe or if they just decided the event was unsafe without any just cause or legitimate evidence. Eric Lemire-Pike there talking about uh, recent experience with New South Wales Police in regards to Bohemian Beat Freaks Festival. That's the first part of the interview and we are going to be playing the next part uh, next week, so please tune in to Psychedelia next week. We don't have much time left, but before we go... Uh, yeah, next weekend is the Hemp Health and Innovation Expo down here in Melbourne and I'm just going to play a little interview that I recorded uh, after I left last year's event. Uh, this is Ash from Psychedelia on 3CR. We've just left the Melbourne Hemp Health and Innovation Expo and um, just bumped into some friends that I made inside. I'm here with... Millie. And... Daniel. And... Michael. And Mitch. <laughs> and what did you guys think of the expo? Very informative and good energy all, all round. Uh, it, was, it was pretty green, uh, <laughs> majority of the events. So, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good effort. What did you guys come down here for? Uh, to find out more about the new legislation surrounding the consumption of hemp seed. And uh, right. very interesting. You know, I think uh, the industry is set to open up. Um, You're interested in hemp food as yeah. a consumer or an investor? Uh, a bit of both. A <laughs> bit of both, yeah, cool. A bit of both. More so the um, medicinal side for people with uh, neurological diseases. It's just interesting yeah. as to what's going on. Like, not just the recreational side, that's all fun, but the side that people are really keen and here talking about. That's the more important side. Yeah, recreational is important too, but this is much more important, you know, and that's what this is about, making it more okay for everybody to talk about and, event, you know, come to things like this. Make more of an impact. Yeah, it's good. Highlights? Ooh, highlights. Um, I think the whole vibe of the place, everyone was so willing to talk and um, share their knowledge, and it was just a really community feel the whole time, and... I don't know, you learn personal stories as well and it has a deeper impact. Um, and yeah, on top of that, they had some really great products that you don't get in the usual shopping centre, so yeah, stocked up. Yeah, great. Did some shopping, cool. What about you guys, any highlights? Oh, not, not too many, I was only here for about an hour or two, but um, I know I sat down and talked with a few people from the cannabis that we were talking about. Yeah, yeah then humble body. Humble um, body. Yeah, makes some beauty products and uh, skincare products. Yeah, yeah, very informative. Um, I love the presentations, um, especially with the doctors and the professors talking about the different benefits of um, cannabinoids on the human body. Yeah, it's fantastic. Good. What about you? Did you have any highlights? Um, I suppose talking to a bloke who's working really hard to change the legislation. The what's going on with it and he had a daughter that was severely affected by um, yeah, epilepsy and he's 
know, one of the many people that have a family member that are largely affected by that, and this is the way to go, you know. And that was from last year's Hemp Health and Innovation Expo. Tickets are on sale. I'll be down there all of next week and probably broadcasting some interviews for next week's show. Uh, Also, Yarra Drug Health Forum meeting is on tomorrow, Monday, 12.30 till 2 at the Richmond Town Hall. Please get along to that one if you want to uh, uh, keep engaged with the local community and what's going on. Uh, Iris and Frank are next on Queering the Air talking, um, I think they're going through some zines and whatnot. Uh, This has been in Psychedelia. We'll see you next Sunday. See you later. Oh, geez, that, that stuffed that up, didn't I? Press play and it doesn't work. <laughs> it's been quite the show today. Remember to head to our website and social media and get in touch with us. See you later. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear Encyclopedia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.